I'm sitting amongst a, an area of rock that is so light that it could possibly float on water if there were any, uh, but there isn't any for um, a couple of hundred miles in any direction because I'm now deep, deep in the empty quarter, the biggest sand desert on earth. And for the last two days, we've traveled over 200 kilometers off road to get to this particular location, which was a real target of, uh, of Harry Sinjin Philby, Abdullah Philby, when he did his journeys in 1931-32 uh, on his enormous crossing of the empty quarter. The, um, there's a story in the Quran, the uh, holy book of Islam, about a king uh, called Ad who became so wealthy that his settlement, his city, this, this, this fabled city of Ubar and all of its inhabitants were destroyed um, by God. And Philby's Bedouin companions felt that they knew the location of this lost city of Ubar. And they were keen for Philby to see it, as was he to become the first European to see it. So this has been our target for the last few days. And we arrived here this morning after a couple of hours driving about 30 kilometres across some beautifully undulating sand. Um, and when Philby crested the dunes that tower above me now he wrote that you know it was it was a sight of disappointment um he says and now i was about to draw the veil uh, from the mysteries on which i had pondered so long with all the devotion of a pilgrim i reached the summit of the dune and in that moment fathomed the legend of ubar he called it wabar a city destroyed by fire from heaven for the sins of its king. This may indeed be Ubar, of which the Bedouins speak, but it is the work of God, not man. And Philby spent a, a day here, and, and we equally have spent a day here, because it's an absolutely fascinating sight in a sea of sand. Uh, it's called, the Bedouin knew it as Al-Hadida, the place of the metal, because all around were fragments of incredibly heavy metal surrounded by this very light black rock which is lying at my feet right now. And when Phil, when, when Philby looked down upon it, he, he didn't see the ruins of a city but, but quickly leapt to the assumption that it was volcanic and that what he was looking at was black lava and, and volcanic craters. Being the person that he was, uh, constant um, fascination with gathering knowledge and data he used his prismatic compass and his pacing to draw a map to gather the data to draw a map of the site of al-hadida the two main craters several hundred meters across were named philby a philby b and one of his bedouin companions bought to him a rabbit-sized chunk of metal that was almost so heavy it was very very difficult to pick up philby carried with him in his in his in his camel bag his, his saddle bag actually a, a geographical journal the magazine produced by the royal geographical society in london and sitting on the dune and pondering trying to work out what had created these enormous craters in the middle of this sand sea all around the land was black and and gray with ash he came across an article uh, written about meteorite craters in east africa and in his notes, he jotted down the word meteorite, uh, question mark. And when these metal fragments, some of these metal fragments were presented to the British Museum and, and the Smithsonian, the experts there 
quickly identified that what what the Bedouin had led Philby to was in fact uh, a, a, an enormous meteorite crater. And it wasn't until the 1960s that, that, that a, a really scientific team came out to look at these craters. And they uh, very quickly identified this as one of the best preserved meteorite craters on the planet because most either plunge into the sea or into soil. But here, all of the impact was absorbed by sand. Um, the meteorite that hit the ground here was estimated to be over nine metres in diameter. That's about three times the length of your average car, two or three times the length of your average car. And it impacted the ground with 12 kilotons of energy. That is the pretty much the same as the Hiroshima nuclear bomb. And the plume of dust reached so high, it probably reached up into the, uh, up into the stratosphere. The heat and the shock waves turned the sand um, into liquid. And so these bl black glassy rocks at my, at my feet were once sand uh, liquefied uh, by the impact of this incredible meteorite that came from outer space. And it, it approached from the northwest at a speed 20 times the, the speed faster than, than a bullet coming out of a gun. So it must have been an amazing sight uh, to see. And, and Philby was the first European to see this place. Um, when he saw it in 1932, the craters were 12 metres deep. Uh, when some um, scientists and surveyors visited in 1961 on an expedition, and not many people come here, so there was a huge gap between visits, those craters were estimated to be 8 metres deep. And here we are today in 2020, Two and the craters are barely discernible, the drifting sand, but there's plenty of debris, plenty of ash to make to let us know we're in absolutely the right place. We can see the rim of the craters, but the craters themselves have been um, filled with uh, drifting sand. So Phil, we spent a day here, um, gathered his thoughts, persuaded his men to press on south to the big waterhole of Shanna, and then after that his enormous crossing with 400 miles between waterholes. Um, so it wasn't the lost city uh, of, of Wabar or Ubar. Um, that lost city is um, believed to be um, several hundred kilometres to the south in Dofar in uh, southern Oman and was discovered in the 1990s by British explorer Ranulf Fiennes and a team of, uh, of archaeologists who used space-age technology uh, to identify what was uh, probably uh, the site of, of Ubar, which was pretty much agreed to be that location in the 1990s. <laughs> 